Today's episode of Beyond the Mask is presented by the insurance specialists at BrightThink Wealth Strategies. Find the disability insurance coverage that fits you best right now. Email Robert Smith at rsmithjr at financialguide.com. The show is also made possible by the team at CRNA Financial Planning. Get a free consultation today to be guided through the complexities of investing and financial planning. Just visit crnafinancialplanning.com. We'd also like to thank Helping Hands and OSA EMR for their support of the show. And don't forget, listening to our podcast can earn you Class B credits. For more information on how you can submit them, check out the CE Credit tab on our website, beyondthemaskpodcast.com. Welcome to Beyond the Mask, innovation and opportunities for CRNAs with Jeremy Stanley and Sharon Pierce. We know you spend your day caring for your patient's best interests. On our show, we want to care for you. Join us as we leave the operating room and learn the latest in the CRNA industry. Beyond the Mask starts in 10, 9, 8, 7. Welcome to Beyond the Mask. I'm Jeremy Stanley, and I've been working with CRNAs for over 23 years, and I'm married to one. And my co-host is... Sharon Pierce. Sharon's a practicing CRNA for over 20 years, a past president of the ANA, the NCANA, and she's held many other leadership roles. As usual, our goal with every episode is to educate and enlighten CRNAs, and I think our topic today is definitely going to do that. And Sharon, what time is it? It's time to wake up, Jeremy. I think it is. Well, Sharon, welcome to the studio again. So good to be in the studio. You know, I Gosh, love it here. I know, I know. Here I just on this snowy know, Saturday. Yeah, I just want to know if you had to drive two hours to come to the studio to me, would you do that? You know the answer. Okay. I, that. I just wanted to make sure, since you know that's what I have to do. Uh, but, you know, you, you kind of cheat a little bit because you've got another place like yes. 25 minutes away. Yeah, so, I you know. I anyway. keep my apartment in Lexington. And, and you get to get away from, you know, your mother-in-law and your husband. <laughs> and you know, I know. So. It's not me getting away from them. It's me allowing them uh, oh, mother son reprieve. I get it. Let them have some mother son time. That's what <laughs> that's about. I understand. I understand. <laughs> well, I think we've got another good show put together today, I and agree. this is one we've been trying to do for a little while. I know. Every time we had it scheduled, something happened to one of the four of us that we yes. had to change it. You know, my COVID, I think, was one of the mm-hmm. times, and uh, yeah, it, it's been something here nor there. But so we have with us today, Jessica Poole. Welcome, Jessica. Thanks for having me. Yeah. And Laura Dwiggins. Thanks for having me, Sharon and Jeremy. Yeah. Yeah. We're looking forward to it. Now you guys are up in Pennsylvania. You hear us complaining a little bit about, you know, this dusting of snow. (laughs) Is there any snow on the ground up there? There is. We have about six inches here and it's, it's nearing about zero degrees outside. Oh, wow. Well, at least we're going to be in the 30s today. So, And we did get, um, I'm going to call it a, a dusting overnight. I don't think it was even an inch, but uh, I'm sure all the bread and milk was gone off of the shelves at the grocery store. And Do they do that up there too, ladies? Sometimes if there's going to be enough snow. So and, it's 
the well, temperature is negative two in, in at night right now. So oh that's goodness. always interesting. So what's the dividing line? You think six inches or less? You've got bread and milk <laughs> in the in the stores, and above you don't. What's the dividing line there? That's probably about right. <laughs> <laughs> That's, That's interesting. Funny. Yeah, we get six inches here. There's nothing left at no all. Lunch meat. The schools anything. are shut down all week. <laughs> Nobody goes to work. I mean, it's uh, it's pretty pretty ugly. Um, <laughs> you know, you're lucky if you get the road scraped at all, especially the side streets. Mm-hmm. But usually they have the major highways done, but that's about it. So yeah. All right. Well, I better digress about that and get to what we're here for. So both of you are in Pennsylvania, like I said, and we're going to be talking about legislative and advocacy updates. And um, really, you're going to be focusing more on what you know about the Pennsylvania Association of Nurse Anesthetists. But I think it has uh, ramifications for all of our listeners. So we're excited about that today. Um, So why don't one of you introduce the topic and and let our listeners know why it is important. And also, when each of you get going, maybe tell just a little bit about yourselves and where you practice and so forth. So my name is Jess Poole. As we um, just talked about, I live in the Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania area. I um, originally graduated from Excella Health School of Anesthesia and practiced for several years and went back and completed my DNAP at La Roche University. From a practice perspective, I have been with a CRNA-owned group for a little over 10 years now. Um, We have the contract at um, multiple outpatient surgery centers, hospitals, office-based settings. So um, we're a group of CRNAs that offer full-service anesthesia and work very autonomously. From a professional perspective, I've been uh, heavily involved with our state and national association for a number of years. I um, was a member and also chaired the AANA's practice committee for several years and have been involved in PANA in multiple different roles. But most recently, um, I took the position of director of state government affairs, which I think is why we're here today to talk about our association, some of the legislation, critical legislation that we were able to get through the finish line in the summer of 2021 after um, 14 years of legislative battle. So we're excited to be here and uh, have the opportunity to talk with you guys about it. So Laura, tell us a little bit about yourself. I know you've been on the podcast before, but just in case our listeners did not hear that particular podcast. Yes, ma'am. Um, I retired in 2018 from the military after 25 years of service. I was the chief nurse executive at the 9-11th Air Wing in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. And um, I was instrumental in standing up their critical care air transport team there. We, you know, use nurse anesthetists often to be the nurses on the team because of the autonomy and the ability to go point of injury, intubate the patients if we needed to, and get them to um, definitive care. I also work for University of Pittsburgh Medical Center, University of Pittsburgh Physicians, and I'm credentialed at several of their facilities in the Pittsburgh area. Um, Right now, I'm primarily at McGee Women's Hospital in their OB department. I love doing OB. And um, I'm also adjunct faculty at the University of Pittsburgh Nurse Anesthesia Program. Um, I'm heavily involved with a lot of the doctorate nurse practitioner um, projects there. And um, I'm also um, a healthcare military a simulation specialist. And I have worked at Robert Morris University for that piece of it. And I am federal political director for PIANA and the president-elect for PIANA. Wow. Don't you have enough to do there, Laura? (laughs) 
seems like all you CRNAs that, uh, you know, are, are active, you've got like a lot going on, right, Ms. Sharon mm, Pierce? <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. So you talked about the legislation that y'all have been working on for a while. Why don't you tell us about that legislation to kind of get us going in the right direction? Sure. So this really has been an issue, I think, that's been pretty specific to Pennsylvania, Um, Up until this legislation passing uh, last summer, we were really just one of only two states that didn't formally recognize CRNAs in some manner in state statute. The other state at this point now is New New York. York. So what that means for all of us that were practicing here is we were all practicing as registered nurses that had this additional authority to administer anesthesia. Even though it seems like a super simple concept that wouldn't carry many ramifications, it in some way impacted the majority of our membership, which is about 3,800 CRNAs and SRNAs across PA. So, you know, one of the, I think, most basic examples that I could give is when it came to licensing and credentialing outside of Pennsylvania. When we attempted to transfer our license and credentials, since our own state board of nursing didn't recognize us as CRNAs, they only recognized us as registered nurses, when we attempted to transfer that outside of the state, the other state boards had difficulty verifying that we actually were who we said we were. Um, And so it became a very lengthy process for them to verify our credentials and finally issue licensure. Um, And sometimes that delay could be six months to a year. Um, So that had a really big impact on all of us that were trying to license outside of the state. And we also, um, two of the major points is that it impacted our active duty military and all of our humanitarian CRNAs that wanted to deploy as part of a disaster relief team. Um, They too were required to obtain a license, a CRNA license outside of Pennsylvania, so that when they deployed in those manners, they could offer services up to including their full scope, which would be CRNA. So within their full scope as a practicing certified registered nurse anesthetist versus a registered nurse. Those are the points that we knew prior to the pandemic. And then interestingly enough, we didn't realize the impact that it had on us and our ability to respond within our own state. So at the start of the pandemic, we heard from many CRNAs and also facilities um, that really felt like they wanted to utilize us to our fullest capacity, which was great. Um, They recognized that we were the provider to kind of handle a patient that was suffering from a respiratory virus, but they felt as though they were handcuffed by how we were licensed in the state. Um, And so that really became an issue for for many of the CRNAs and facilities. And then they had to try to figure out if they were going to lay CRNAs off or redeploy them to the floor. So it became an issue within our our own state. Wow. You wouldn't think that it would play that big of a role, but it makes sense whenever you talk about it. Yeah, it really does. I mean, you know, I'm just sitting here thinking, I mean, Pennsylvania, obviously being one of the larger states for CRNAs, why? I mean, I guess one of the questions I have is, is why, why? <laughs> you know, I mean, in, in New York, you know, I mean, another another large state, you know, what was the reasoning behind this? What what was the, the holdup, I guess you'd say? And where well, was the opposition coming in, which yeah, I, guess, exactly. I guess we know, but oh, yeah, just of course. tell us about it. New York actually is the headquarters of the ASA. So I believe that's why they're still being stonewalled. Ah, Um, You know, Jess can add more to this, but in 
Pennsylvania, our, it takes our legislature a long time to do things sometimes. And we were actually told that this would never happen, that we would actually get title designation. So we are actually extremely proud that we actually did get title designation. And um, it's almost like a backwards way of doing things, in my opinion. But Jess can elaborate on this more. So, uh, Jess, I think you mentioned a minute ago, I was just kind of thinking about this as well. You know, when you went to another state, and, and maybe one of you have, how long did that process take to go, say, you're a CRNA and you want to work in North Carolina? How long did that process take because of this particular issue? Yeah, I actually, you know, I, I can speak to that personally. So um, several years ago, maybe eight or nine years ago, I attempted to license in an outside state. I didn't really, at that point, I wasn't as informed as I am now. So I didn't know what the holdup was, mm-hmm. but from start to finish, it took eight months. So wow. from the time that I initiated licensing in that outside state until I actually received the license and would have been able to credential in a facility outside of Pennsylvania, it was eight complete months. Wow. wow. Now, where was the Board of Nursing on all of this? I know we in North Carolina were not put into statute or defined until the early 1990s. Actually, we had Linda Moore on here who who spearheaded that process in our state. So that's not that long ago, 30 years ago. But the Board of Nursing didn't take care of this issue. Yeah, that's a great question, Sharon. So our board of nursing is a disciplinary board only. And my understanding is there's a couple different boards and how they can function within the state based off of what department they fall under. Ours here in Pennsylvania is disciplinary only. They are not legally allowed to help advance the scope of practice for nurses. They're not able to issue advisory opinions. They um, they are not able to help you interpret regulations. So we did present to the State Board of Nursing three years ago. And at that time, they informed us of a something called a sunrise application mm-hmm. that we had never heard of, um, that we basically had to go through a very lengthy process and ask answer a series of questions that worked its way up through the Department of State and then to the governor's administration for us to you know, get uh, support from the Department of State to finally issue us our title designation and licensure. And we received that from them. The application process took 16 months um, from start to finish. And then we finally received the support of Governor Wolf. And that was received, I believe, about a year and a half ago now. Wow. So who does make those designations, or if it's not the Board of Nursing, I mean, they're kind of handcuffed behind their back if they're just disciplinary and not there to represent, you know, I know they're there to protect the public. I understand that. And that's for all boards of nursing. But we work a lot with our Board of Nursing in North Carolina. So this is kind of a new concept to me. You're right. They really are handcuffed. And I know that there is a lot of licensing delays and and issues that are occurring, not just with CRNAs, but nurses really across the Commonwealth. And there's a lot of legislation introduced 
um, at this point to pretty much change the structure and the function of our state board of nursing. I think we're a little bit away from that, but we're definitely taking steps in the right direction to get a state board of nursing that will support our nurses, make sure that we're all getting our license um, when we need to renew them or whether it be initial certification and to handle issues like this. But up until this point, any type of new license or title delineation has to go through the legislative process. And that legislative process is quite lengthy. Oh, well, any legislative process is quite lengthy, but holy cow. So, all right, I'm going to ask one more question. Has a CRNA ever served on your board of nursing? Yes, we had a CRNA on our board of nursing for a while, at least six years to my knowledge. It could have been a little bit longer than that. Um, He resigned his seat approximately two years ago. Um, That that seat was taken by another APRN that was not a CRNA. Um, So we've been working with our other nursing organizations in Pennsylvania um, to make sure that all of the advanced practice providers are equally represented on our state board of nursing, meaning a CRNA would be required to sit on the board. But as of right now, there is not a CRNA on our state board of nursing. But there's an APRN seat. Is it a designated APRN seat? We have one. And so, uh, you know, obviously one of the four can sit in that seat. Now, are you appointed? You've got to be appointed on the board of nursing. You don't elect your people on the board of nursing, do you? No, we're appointed by the governor. Yes. Because North Carolina is the only state left in the nation that elects the people on their board of nursing. Interesting. Mm -hmm. We had other people also on the board of nursing that were CRNAs, but once again, their function is only to review the disciplinary um, licensing issues that come across the desk. So it's kind of a limited you know, scope of what they can do on that board of nursing at this point. Have you thought about what would happen if you weren't able to work for two or three years? You know, on average, 25% of people will file a disability claim, and most of us aren't prepared for that loss of income. Every CRNA needs to protect their biggest asset, yourself and your ability to earn with a disability insurance policy. We recommend contacting Robert Smith, a master disability insurance specialist with more than 30 years of experience and 1,800 CRNA clients to find the coverage that fits you best. The best way to do that is to send him an email at rsmithjr at financialguide.com. That's rsmithjr at financialguide.com. Or call him at 504-394-6557. So have there been other changes that have happened in Pennsylvania in the last few years besides uh, finally getting your, your designation? Yeah, actually, this uh, past two years have been really our biggest years that we've had thus far. We had our supervision requirement and our hospital regulations uplifted as part of the governor's executive order. Um, Once that expired, our General Assembly passed legislation that took some of those critical waivers and extended them through March of 2022. Uh, We were included in that legislation. 
um, as we talk about Act 60, our title designation, but I also think and would like to point out that not only did that piece of legislation give us our title delineation once and for all, but it also um, expanded the provider that we're allowed to work with independently here in Pennsylvania to include podiatrists, because up until that point, we weren't able to work with them unless there was another physician in the facility. So that was um, also a big win for us. And then we also had an informed consent issue. We had the PA Supreme Court back in 2017 ruled behind closed doors and really without any input from stakeholders that no advanced practice providers could be delegated the task of receiving informed consent. So there, this happened um, as a result of a catastrophic event of a neurology case where the determination was made by the Supreme Court that had the patient and family received an appropriate informed consent and been explained risk benefits and alternatives that they would have gone a different direction. And they tracked that back to the physician assistant was the one that obtained the informed consent. And so the PA Supreme Court said, no more of that. Advanced practice providers cannot get informed consent. It has to be done by a physician. And so the trickle-down effect was that it, it severely impacted anesthesia practices, regardless if you practice in a collaborative model with physician anesthesiologists or for those of us that work with our surgeons, because even if you work with a physician anesthesiologist, it's well within the scope of a CRNA to obtain informed consent. Many of them did. And then in our settings, now the expectation is that our surgeons are proceduralists who are not experts in the anesthesia or to get our anesthesia consent. I'm sure you can imagine the resistance that we met on that. So um, since 2017 until this last summer, we had been working with multiple healthcare organizations in Pennsylvania to basically introduce legislation that would circumvent that PA Supreme Court ruling. That legislation finally passed this summer as well. Um, so effective of, of June 30th, 2021, all advanced practice providers were able to obtain their own informed consent. That informed consent issue really caused a problem in OB, you know, for us, because the CRNAs are actually the ones that are often doing the epidurals and placing the spinals. And we, at the time, originally, we had to get an anesthesiologist or, you know, another physician to get the consent. And they kind of got around it because they changed the name from anesthesia consent to analgesia consent. And we're like reading between the lines on it so that we could actually get our own consents. But it is a huge relief that they've now um, changed that law and, you know, have made it right. So you mentioned a minute ago Act 60. What, what is the physician requirement of Act 60? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, so, and I think it's important that we point this out because I know that when this um, legislation was passed and signed into law by the governor, our physician anesthesiologist counterparts really try to capitalize on this um, physician requirement um, as, it, as a new revelation in Pennsylvania. And really the exact opposite is true. The language as it exists in Act 60 is identical to how it's always existed in our state board of nursing regs and also our ambulatory surgical facility regulations under the Department of Health stating that we work under the overall direction of, of any physician. So the language is identical and we just maintain status quo. But I think, you know, even more importantly, we were able to add 
cooperation language into Act 60, which defines the relationship that we have with the physicians that we work on in a manner that our area of expertise is anesthesia and their area of expertise is, is surgery. And we have a relationship where we defer to one another appropriately. So as far as the requirement for physicians go, nothing has changed and it's identical to um, the ASF regulations. Well, it sounds like you guys have been doing a lot of work in Pennsylvania as of late. So, Laura, why don't you tell us how you guys have maybe successfully conquered some apathy that all states seem to suffer? Well, one thing that we did, and I think it's a huge gain, um, is that we and PANA have brought on a lot of our students into the fold. And we put them on committees and we've started them out young, understanding the importance of all these legislative issues. I don't think people understand how how important they are and, you know, at the basic level and how they can impact their practice. I mean, just the fact of an informed consent change, if you would have missed that, you know, you could have been doing something completely illegal. In addition to that, there's different rules here in you know, oral surgery cases, and if you're, you know, working in collaboration with a dentist. So I think it's important that everybody understands under what, you know, rules and regulations that they're working under. And by bringing the students in early into the fold, Just Pool's done a fantastic job of putting them on the government relations team. We have um, congressional advocacy specialists for the federal side of it. We have a lot of students that are interested in that. And I think that has been like the number one thing for hopefully um, combating the apathy. Um, We've been trying to bring up some of our seasoned CRNAs back into the fold, offering different educational experiences for them and asking them, asking the CRNAs and and SRNAs what topics they want to hear at some of our symposiums. And then once they get there, we do educate them on the legislative side of things. So we're hoping that that has helped. What's your relationship with your lobbyist? I know, and I'll just give you an example. In North Carolina, our lobbyists are at every single one of our meetings talking about what's happening legislatively. Is that an opportunity for people to interact with the lobbyists in Pennsylvania? It is. Panda has made a lot of changes in the past five years. And one of the biggest changes that we have made is contracting with a new lobbying firm. Um, One that aligned more with our our mission and our vision for where we want to see our practice go. In my opinion, I work very closely with them. It was one of the best changes that we've made in a long time. They make themselves available to us at all of our symposiums. They participate um, in advocacy and leadership lectures that we do. They'll um, serve as uh, on our expert panels Um, They've been great. They make themselves available to leadership and then also our members. So I want to point out that another thing that we've done, and she will never admit to this, is that putting Jessica Poole in the government relations director position has been one of the best things that Tana has ever done because she is able to be in Harrisburg. And we've always said this before, but nobody advocates for you like you would advocate for yourself. So having a CRNA at the Legislative Assembly and at their sessions and interactively working with our lobbyist has been a huge thing that we just did within the past two years. And she won't admit to that, but I would like to sing her praises on that one. Yeah. 
a lot of people don't want to toot their own horn, but those are some great accomplishments. And, and Jess, how do you develop relationships with legislators when, when you're in Harrisburg? Yeah. So I think, you know, as I, as I just mentioned about contracting with this new firm, I think for us, we've had a really long history of strong leaderships within our association, PANA. And I think that a lot of those relationships have progressed from session to session. And so they've always been in existence. And I think how we grew upon that first was bringing in this new lobbying firm a new lobbying firm that really has a great reputation in in Harrisburg and they have deeply rooted relationships with leadership and also the majority and minority parties. I mean, it really goes a a long way to have um, lobbyists that are very well respected in your capital. So that was a good start for us. As Laura has mentioned, the panel board uh, made a decision a few years ago to really um, start focusing on having a CRNA lobbyist in the capital that works in conjunction um, with our contracted lobbying firm. So that just adds some consistency because the issue that we had, and Sharon, I'm sure you can certainly speak to this, is that you know we're all volunteer basis in our state associations, generally speaking, and leadership changes from one year to the next. And it is nearly impossible to build and maintain these relationships with our lawmakers and stakeholders that we need to in just a year's time. Because by the time your presidency or your GRC chair um, term has terminated, you're going to a new person and that's a new person that your lawmakers have to meet and try to build a relationship with. And so there's just no consistency to that. Um, so that. So our board decided to change that about two years ago. And I think too, something we've really focused on here in Pennsylvania is, you know, our in-district lobbying, our grassroots level advocacy. I don't think we could stress more to our members the importance of um, initiating and building that relationship in district, go to your go to their neighborhood, meet them in their district office, and start those relationships now. Because as we you know progress with legislation that may positively or negatively impact the way that we practice, we need those relationships intact um, so that they'll turn to us and ask us questions, and then take the information that we provide you know back to Harrisburg and and educate their you know, caucus members, essentially. So those are just some of the small things that that we changed here in Pennsylvania that I think have gone a long way. Beyond the Mask is made possible by the team at CRNA Financial Planning. With almost two decades of experience, the firm guides CRNAs through the complexities of investing and financial planning. Schedule a free consultation today by calling 855-304-3748 or go online to crnafinancialplanning.com. Laura, are y'all kind of mirroring what happened in Oregon where the association actually pays a CRNA to be in this role? That's correct. I would like to, to switch gears for a second to the federal level. I think that the AANA should put um, a CRNA in the Washington, D.C. office and advocate for us nationally and pay them. Because I think that would, you know, so any board, ANA board of directors out there listening, just a suggestion from that end, I think that would go a long way just from the, you know, successes that we've had in Pennsylvania on this issue and, and you know, having someone there advocating all the time. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, you bring up a good point. We, we tell people all the time at the state level that we need to have a CRNA in your state legislature, but yet we don't necessarily 
do such a great job at that at the national level. So I appreciate your thoughts on that. So how many days do you basically pay a CRNA to be in Harrisburg? A couple days. So the, when the board decided to do this, we actually um, decided on a salary mm-hmm. so that it allows the flexibility um, for Jess to be able to be there when she needs to be. I need to give a shout out to her employer, who is phenomenal for allowing her the time to do this. And I mean, it does actually benefit that employer because they are CRNA, you know, independent practice in many ways, but it is a small group. So when Jess needs to leave and go to Harrisburg, those, you know, coverages needed to be covered in the OR. Mm. So, I mean, it's huge. And I'm not sure that somebody that worked anywhere else would be able to do that as well. Thanks, Laura. I appreciate that. So Sharon, I spend, um, it depends how many session days, Mm -hmm. um, because it varies and they're off during um, the summer. But on average, I am in Harrisburg at least four full days a month. But I would say, you know, four out of the five days a week, I am doing something related to that role whether it is, you know, Zooms or emails, texting, you know how it goes. It's a, it's a, it's a constant um, commitment to be in communication and make sure that things are going the way it's supposed to be. But as far as my um, physically being in Harrisburg, it's at least four days a month. But, you know, during all this, you guys got some networking support from other groups. You want to talk a little bit about that as well? Sure. So, you know, Pana focused about three or four years ago on really making a solid attempt to build a coalition foundation because, you know, there's certainly strength in numbers, but I mean, there is power in building these relationships and these teams with um, organizations that are, you know, maybe in a sector that's outside of the CRNA profession or they're a stakeholder in the CRNA profession. And so we teamed up with a multitude of organizations including, you know, our Farm Bureau, our National Guard Association, our Rural Health Association, so on and so forth, that shared, you know, the same goals that we had, which is, you know, it's very simple. It's we need to um, reduce scope of practice restriction or advance our scope of practice. We need accessibility in healthcare services and anesthesia services. We need affordable healthcare and we need to maintain um, free market. And so, whether it be one or all of them, we were able to team up with, I think it was about 13 different organizations that really, um, as a collective effort, as a team, we were able to kind of push that needle forward to advance that critical legislation last summer. So I know, um, speaking on Pana's behalf, we probably wouldn't have been able to get it done without the support of all of those outside organizations. So I can't, I, I can't speak more highly of the importance of building uh, coalitions within your state. How's y'all's relationship with the AARP? We've had just amazing success. Of course, the AARP state president is a registered nurse, which is helpful in North Carolina. But how do y'all have a relationship with, with them? We do. The AARP here in Pennsylvania underwent a lot of leadership changes about a year and a half ago. Um, The AARP, they are very involved in the nurse practitioners here in Pennsylvania that are pushing for Mm -hmm. full scope of practice. 
So from our title designation perspective, they were, um, you know, supportive peripherally, of course, and we have a great relationship with them, but their main focus is advancing scope of practice and increasing accessibility to healthcare. So um, that's a conversation we continue to have with them, but so far it's been very positive. So um, Laura, tell me about your PAC in your state and are the CRNAs opening up their pocketbooks for you? So that was another thing that we did recently is we changed up our PAC chair and getting new ideas and fresh ideas. We have Heather Towers as our PAC chair right now, and she came in and she um, basically started creating, you know, different things that people might want to buy to contribute to the PAC. So just this week, she put out a CRNA beanie, which everybody needs right now with the six inches of snow. And the other thing that she's doing is she is sending a gift every year to recurring donors around Christmas time. Last year, it was an umbrella from, you know, the CRNAs. And so we're hoping to get more recurring donors because that actually allows us to, you know, project ahead and, you know, what money that we're going to have in order to spend in Harrisburg and for our lobbying efforts. We've had a lot of different um, events that we've put out there for fundraising. We've really done a lot of work in that area. And we're hoping to have a robust pack just to, you know, attack some of maybe the potential issues that we might have coming our way. Nice. I've been at some of your meetings um, Mm -hmm. in the past. I remember when Sherry Burke was your pack chair a number of years ago, and y'all have had some really, really nice events uh, up there. Especially that meeting in Hershey. <laughs> I was going to say, the meeting in Hershey is always fun. <laughs> I know. I like that meeting. It's a great meeting, mm-hmm. which if any of you, uh, any of our listeners ever get an opportunity to go to that meeting, it's it's a nice venue and they do a really good job. Of course, the meeting that y'all, do y'all still do the one in Bedford, that little we, community? We do. Oh, my God. Yeah. That place is stunning. And y'all usually have it in the fall. Yes, the Omni Bedford Springs has been in the fall and, you know, Hershey has been in the um, spring. I am on the curriculum committee, too, for um, PANA, and we have some fantastic speakers coming up for the spring symposium. So I want to give them a shout out. And if you can make this meeting at all, it would be well worth your while. We have some um, CRNAs that are coming back from deployments overseas. So you might hear something about the Afghanistan pullout. We've, you know, COVID issues, CRNAs deploying for those things. It's going to be a phenomenal meeting. So we would like to see people at it. Yeah. Well, we'll put a plug in because it's a great meeting and you need to get uh, Jeremy and I there so we can do a live podcast I, taping. I was just going to say, I know where Sharon's <laughs> you know going with this. She's putting it out there to say, hey, you know, I'm we would available love to, speak. to have you. <laughs> oh, it's actually pretty fun. Let me tell you, we do it in North Carolina. Um, actually, it's been pretty helpful because our demog- our age range, our demographic age range is, is trending up yeah. to older listeners because the first time we did it and we were on stage, we're taping live and then of course we will push it out in a couple of weeks after that uh, with our podcasting channels but we'll have uh, the people in the audience raise their hand if they don't know what a podcast is and and then we'll have the students go to those people and and show them how to use the app real quick before we get started but people will come up and say, I really enjoyed that radio show that y'all did. <laughs> so it, it's really cool. And it's educating older CRNAs, seasoned yeah. <laughs> CRNAs about podcasting. And now since you can get Class B credits from it, too, yeah. I mean, 
it's that's uh and that's free <laughs> yeah yeah instead of paying for ce's but we digress but uh <laughs> listen you guys out there they do put on really great meetings there yeah and, and Laura, you know, you mentioned a minute ago COVID, and that kind of leads into, you know, what was CRNA practice like and, and still like, I guess, in Pennsylvania under COVID and, and when things were really hot and so forth? What's it like? Well, it's interesting that you ask that because I am just getting over COVID myself. Ah. Um, I'm shocked that I actually didn't get it before this, but yeah. I, I actually had two vaccines and a booster and managed to get it. Um, so did Jeremy. Because, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So did my wife. Well, mostly, so did my daughter. You know, it was like over Christmas, everybody got it again. So, well, I hope everybody's recovering yeah, well there, Jeremy, in your household. Yeah. Um, so I just wanted to say that, you know, the CRNAs and, you know, here have been working their butts off. And I think, you know, recently with the Omicron variant, that some of the hospital systems have been overwhelmed. And, you know, we ran out of negative flow rooms and you still have to treat the patients. I mean, we were delivering people in the hallways, you know, in OB. So I'm sure that's, you know, most likely how I got it because I really haven't been doing much of anything. Um, you know, I'd like to go and have a, a drink with Just Pull or some of the other PANA members. And we really haven't had a chance to do that with everybody working so hard. But when COVID first started, we actually found out that some of our CRNAs, they weren't sure what to do with them once they closed the ORs down initially, and they stopped all, you know, elective cases, and didn't know what to do with them. And some of them, they were having clean rooms and be part of the cleaning staff. And CRNAs are always willing to do almost, you know, just about anything that they can to help their patients. But we wanted to make sure that they were being utilized to their full scope. And so we were hearing a lot from that. So we had to reach out to different members regarding, you know, those situations. And just might be able to elaborate more on that. But yeah, it's been an interesting past couple of years. Yeah, in more than one way, right? Yeah, that would be that would be true. So Jess, as we get ready to wrap up here, why don't you just give us a synopsis of what a CRNA or a SRNA can do to become involved and where do you see CRNA advocacy going in the future? Yeah, so I think, you know, just speaking specifically to Pennsylvania, as far as CRNAs wanting to get involved, we're trying to do a better job at making that easier for them, um, whether it be on um, social, a social media platform or um, outreach. We do, have been doing a lot of in-district meet and greets to try to engage our members, which has been wildly successful. And we've noticed over the past year or two that we have more CRNAs that are paying attention to what's going on and are reaching out to figure out how to get involved. Um, so really, it's just a matter of networking and reaching out to us. And we will happily take any CRNA or SRNA that wants to advocate for our profession. So um, that's what I think in terms of getting involved. And as far as advocacy over the next several years, uh, you know, we've seen over the past two years, a lot of states that historically, I think have been, some of them historically have been very restrictive to our practice or conservative in nature. And we've had a lot of big wins in a short period of time for several states. And so whether that's a, you know, a result of the pandemic or just a result of, you know, hard work and tenacity, I don't know, but I really think we're 
we're just at the beginning of this. You know, I think that the pandemic has shed uh, a really bright light on our profession and the capabilities that we have. And um, I think everyone feels these wins and the momentum that we have, and it's contagious for, for all of us. So I think at the national level, we're going to see some movement with hopefully scope of practice within the VA. And I look um, for the same pro CRNA legislation to advance in, in many of our states. So my perspective is, is that we've had a lot of wins, but I mean, we really even mm. haven't scratched the surface yet. So we're just at the beginning of this. It's an exciting time. Yeah. That's great. And I want to add, they can always donate to the pack, and we can have them be a PANA ambassador or a congressional advocacy specialist. And I was telling somebody the other day that, you know, as in brand new CRNA, you walk into the OR and you're just, you know, trying to figure out how to turn on the anesthesia machine. But when you really get into like advocacy and everything that's going on legislatively, you're actually in the next level of Jumanji. And things start to open up for you and you see a new stratosphere of the profession. And I think if, if you don't do that, you're really missing out. I love that. I haven't heard it put as Jumanji. Before, I love that, that too. So. I love that. <laughs> uh, well, listen, Laura, Jess, thank you so much for being on the show today. Thank you for all that you're both doing. I mean, obviously, um, it's showing up in Pennsylvania for the strong work that you guys are doing. And being on our show and, and giving other CRNAs out there an idea of what they might can do in their state. Thank you. Thanks, Jeremy. Thanks, Sharon. It was a pleasure to be here. And I'm glad we finally got this one done. I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> uh, we've been working on it for a while. All right, Sharon. Well, I think it's a wrap. I think so. We want to thank our listeners for listening to Beyond the Mass with Jeremy Stanley and Sharon Pierce. If you like our show and want to help us grow, Sharon, how can they help us grow? Uh, the number one way is to leave us a review, but make it positive there's definitely enough negativity in this world absolutely tell your friends share us on social media and help us grow there you go until next time it's a wrap As a CRNA, you spend years preparing yourself for this career, so we don't want to see you lose out on any of the income you've worked so hard to earn. The best way to protect yourself and give you the confidence that a major life event won't disrupt your financial future is through disability insurance. We've known disability income specialist Robert Smith for many years and have seen the work he's done with nearly 2,000 CRNAs over multiple decades. He can help identify any gaps in your existing coverage and fill those gaps by finding the best value on a policy. Contact Robert and let him know you heard about him on our podcast. Send him an email at rsmithjr at financialguide.com. That's rsmithjr at financialguide.com. Or call him at 504-394-6557. Protect your greatest asset as a CRNA, yourself and your ability to earn a living by adding disability insurance to your financial plan. Today's show is brought to you by the folks at CRNA Financial Planning, an independent consulting firm that offers financial planning services exclusively to CRNAs and their families. From planning for a child's future college expenses to building a predictable income stream in retirement, the firm is committed to offering you comprehensive financial services, customized to fit your unique needs and objectives. If you have questions about your financial future, get them answered. Call the team at 855-304-3748. 
That's 855-304-3748. Or go online to crnafinancialplanning.com. Hi, this is Jackie Rolls, President of the International Federation of Nurse Anesthetists and President and Founder of Our Hearts, Your Hands, a global anesthesia support community that takes donations to allow nurse anesthetists in low and middle income countries to go to educational programs, buy equipment or textbooks. Your donations are tax deductible and we would appreciate your support. OSA EMR is a free anesthesia EMR developed by CRNAs that you can download and use on an iPad. Our nonprofit mission is to make sure that solo and small practice CRNAs can digitally record their anesthetics. To learn more, visit OSAEMR.com to download and consider donating to our cause. Remember, for CRNAs, data is destiny. Be sure to subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and anywhere you like to listen to shows. Also, be sure to check out BeyondTheMaskPodcast.com. Each episode is posted there with a corresponding blog post, and we timestamp important parts of the episode to help you quickly get to the content you're looking for. Also, check out the special series section on the site. You can follow along and catch up on the CRNA History Series, episodes specifically about political conversations in the industry, or try the CRNA Personal Finance Series. It's all on beyondthemaskpodcast.com. And if you have a question for the show or want to be a guest or even suggest a particular topic, fill out the contact form on the site or send an email directly to us at info at beyondthemaskpodcast.com. And lastly, let's take the conversation social. Check out our Beyond the Mask podcast Facebook page and Facebook group.